the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a joyful assembly. As you came into church today, you saw the icon of the Dormition. And the icon in various places, it has either just the apostles around, or a cloud of angels around, or even hierarchs around. All of them venerating the Mother of God, honoring her in her falling asleep. And we are an icon of that because we are all centered around the epitaphios, around her tomb. And so we honor the Panagia together. The hymns tell us everything that we need to know about the Theotokos. And if you were here last night, you heard many hymns and listened closely, perhaps. But the theological truths that were revealed in those hymns Many of them you could just ponder on one hymn for many, many minutes, just thinking about what does this mean? And the hymns teach us what we need to know about her. And the hymns, I encourage you to read them and pray with them. The central hymns of any feast are the Apolitikion and the Kondakion, and they're what we have in the, the newsletter or the bulletin here. And these hymns, for the Dormition, they, in many ways, echo each other. The Apolitikion, which is listed here as the hymn of the Dormition, and the Kondakion, which is the last of the hymns. So I'd like to read the Kondakion and then talk a little bit about the themes there so that we can understand our Most Holy Mother more, more deeply. The Kondakion says, the grave and death could not hold the Theotokos, who is unsleeping in her intercessions and, unfailing and an unfailing hope in her mediations. For as the mother of life, she was translated to life by him who dwelt in her ever-virgin womb. Much to ponder in those very short two sentences. And it speaks of two of the most important aspects of the Theotokos, her unity with God, and her unity with us. And this is what makes her so unique for us. As it says very clearly, she is the mother of life. Her unity with God is beyond comprehension. God dwelt inside of her. As I've mentioned before, the icon in any proper Orthodox church in what would be the apse that you would see above is the icon of the Platitera, and that's the icon behind the altar there. That icon is called Platitera ton Uranon, which means more spacious than the heavens. And it's there to reveal a theological truth. That truth is that God's humility and condescension and his emptying, as it said in the epistle today, is so great that he made the womb of a human being to be more spacious than the heavens can't even comprehend that because God is more spacious than the heavens, is he not? But God is inside of the womb of the virgin. So this icon reveals that to us, that she is the pathway of God into humanity. And that's why the icon is placed there. Her unity with God is, again, beyond description. It's things where we can read all these Old Testament images, shadows, like Jacob's ladder and all of these other images that try to help us understand 
this thing that really is beyond comprehension. She's the mother of life. She received her life from him, and then he received his life from her, his human life, we can say. God being inside of her, this is an image for each of us as Christians. We all desire to be like Panagia, because we all desire to have God dwelling in us, God inhabiting us in a way just like the Theotokos. And so in this way, she is an example to us. But the part that is different for her from all of us is that God is obedient to her. God is obedient to her. Why? Because he, the God of our fathers, said, honor your father and mother. And he, in his great humility, gave himself a mother. So he honors her. He is obedient to her, and we see this in the gospel account at the wedding of Cana, and undoubtedly many other times that we don't know about that are not written down in his childhood and his upbringing. There's a beautiful icon of the first steps of Christ, the Theotokos teaching the eternal God how to walk because he is a human, and he is a human baby. He's learning how to walk like the rest of us. He didn't just start levitating as a baby. <laughs> Sometimes we have these ideas. We have to recognize how incredibly human God in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is. How incredibly human he is. He's so human that he took flesh from her. As in, we do not have the Eucharist except because of the mother of God. We know we have the Eucharist from Christ, because Christ gave his body and blood. But God has no body and blood except that he has received body and blood from the Theotokos. So we receive the body and blood of Christ because she gave her own flesh and blood to him. And then he took that on and became a human being, and he rose into adulthood, died on the cross, was resurrected, and through the Holy Spirit, he gives us that same flesh and blood, the same flesh and blood that he received from his mother, he gives to us. And this is how. We can't receive divinity because divinity doesn't have flesh and blood. But now we can because he's united divinity with humanity. Do you see what a profound thing this is? We couldn't before God's incarnation, and ultimately it was God's choice, but we'll talk a little bit more about her part in that. But God in his humility, he made an avenue for us to receive divinity each and every liturgy, to receive him. And that avenue isn't, there's no way that we can receive divinity otherwise, except that he took on flesh and blood. And that flesh and blood is the very flesh and blood that he received from his mother. And while God, in his great humility and compassion, agreed to this, decided this for our salvation, humanity also had to agree to that. And humanity offered up its greatest, offered up the one who, through generations and generations of holiness, this is the one who wouldn't, like Eve, say no to God. This is the one who will take on this immense burden 
as a young woman, barely of age, betrothed to an old man. And she says yes to this. She says yes. And her saying yes is saying yes on behalf of all of humanity. So this is how deeply and intimately the mother of God is united to God. But she's united with us as well because she's human. And she is our standard bearer, the one who went forward for all of us, for all of humanity to give not my human flesh, not your human flesh, not your human flesh, but hers. And on behalf of that, giving all of humanity so that we can be united to God. So she is united with us because she's human like us. And furthermore, she's our mother. Now I know for many of us who come from formerly Protestant backgrounds, it's, it's a hard concept. It almost sounds like polytheism or something like that. She's our mother, what did, how are we to do this? But St. Siloan says clearly, God gave her to us. So it's not that she stood up to be our mother, but that God in his love for us gave us her as a mother. He says, and this most pure mother, she's our advocate before God and dwells in heaven and ever beholds the glory of God, yet she does not forget us and spreads her compassion over the whole earth, over all people. And this most pure mother of his, the Lord, has bestowed on us. She is our joy and expectation. She is our mother in the spirit and kin to us by nature as being a human being. So she's united to us in that we all partake in human nature just as we are all united with each other. We're not individuals, but we are all parts of the one humanity. Likewise, also, she is for us. But God has given her to us because he's a generous God. He's a God who wants to give us more and more and more so that he can draw us into eternal life. So he's given us a great advocate, one whom, as I said earlier, God is obedient to because of the nature of their relationship. We're united to her also just because of the bigness of her heart. I'm sure most of you have had the experience of people in your life who have what we might call a big heart. They're people who just attract other people to them. I was very blessed to have a grandmother like this, where at the time of her death, she had a daughter who wasn't hers, she had a granddaughter who wasn't hers, all of these other people that just took her on as, she's like a second mother to me. She's a second grandmother to me. And we've all had experiences of this, or many of us have, of people where their, their big heart is just, it's, it's not enough just for the people that are given to them by family or by working relationship, but other people are drawn in. Or you could almost say that they're reaching out to the other people. And we all desire to be like that. We desire that our heart can expand and expand and can have room for more and more people. We see this in saints like St. Paisius, who had pain for all of the world. He loved the world so much, his heart was so big that it could include everyone in the world. This is what the Panagia is for us, and many of the saints, but especially her. Her heart is so big. St. Gregory Palamas, many centuries ago, he described her, her upbringing, how she was in the, the, she was in the synagogue learning about Moses' revelations about Adam and Eve, and she was pained by 
the, the sadness of the fall of humanity. And he continues by saying, when the Holy Virgin Maid heard and understood this, she was filled with pity for humanity and the aim of finding a remedy to counteract this great affliction. She resolved at once to turn with her whole mind to God. Now this is her, remember she was raised in the temple and so she was there hearing all of these readings, having this pain for humanity. She took upon herself to represent us, to constrain him who is above compulsion and quickly draw him toward us that he might remove the curse from among us, halt the advance of the fire burning men's souls, weaken our enemies, answer our prayers, shine upon us with the light that never sets, and having healed our sickness, unite his creature with himself. Having thought over these things so relevant to her, the Virgin, full of grace, interceded for all humanity in an amazing way defying description. We know of God's intention, of his desire to save us and how he came and took on flesh. But have you ever thought about that? Her desire, her desire for all of humanity. And for this, she fervently prayed for us and she was preparing the temple of her body for that moment when the archangel would come. So she is united with us. As the Kandakian says, who is unsleeping in her intercessions and an unfailing hope in her mediations. This is why the Theotokos is so central to our faith. Because of her unity with God and her unity with humanity makes her such an amazing intercessor. We know how we say our, our intercessions to her and immediately they go into the ear of God. We ask for prayer and she is immediate her response. The Panagia is our great and fervent intercessor. And so on this day of her feast, let us honor her. I'd like to close by reading another miracle. And this is a well-known and famous miracle. There's a feast day called Agia Skepi, Holy Protection, in October. And Holy Protection is the commemoration of this very miracle. So I'll read this. From many centuries ago at the time of St. Andrew, the fool for Christ. In the church of Lacarne, there was once an all-night vigil. This is in Constantinople. St. Andrew, along with his disciple, St. Epiphanios, also went there to pray. It was during the sacred moment when the celebrant priest declared, especially our holy, most blessed Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary, that the saint saw the Theotokos proceeding from the royal doors on the beautiful gate toward the holy altar, passing through the center of the holy church. The whole place was lit up. The church was radiant. An incomprehensible fragrance filled everyone. She looked very tall and was escorted by a radiant, honorable host of white-clothed saints. Amongst those who stood out were the honorable forerunner and St. John the Theologian, who were walking on her right and on her left. Among the white-clothed saints were, who were escorting her, some were proceeding and others were following as they were chanting, it is truly meet. All this wonderful and most resplendent company was surrounded by a multitude of angels who were sensing our most holy Theotokos, those present in the holy altar in an inconceivable way. When they had reached the Amvon at the center of the church, St. Andrew told his disciple, St. Epiphanios, 
My child, can you see the lady and maiden of the whole world? Yes, honorable father, he replied. The holy Theotokos fell on her knees and prayed for a long time. She was beseeching her son and God for the salvation of the world as tears were streaming down her countenance. Later, she entered the holy altar and prayed for the faithful who that night kept vigil again for the whole world. As soon as she finished her supplication with a graceful, solemn movement, she removed the glowing long shawl from her immaculate head and with her most holy hand spread it out like a shelter over the congregation. This shawl became so long that it spread throughout the whole church. Both of them could see it as it was spreading for a long time, radiating divine glory and a great deal of brightness. While the most holy Theotokos was visible, one could also see the long holy shawl whose grace was scattered. When she started ascending into heaven with her entourage, the long holy shawl also started little by little getting smaller and smaller, disappearing into thin air. Everything was clothed, clothed in inexpressible splendor and divine beauty. This image of the holy protection is an image that we should all have in our minds. And there are beautiful icons of her spreading out her arms and her shawl over us. Most holy Theotokos save us.